0: glands are defined as groups of cells that are specialized in the production and secretion of chemicals for different purposes. And there are two big groups, two, big, two types of glands that we need to define to make the endocrine system clear. The exocrine glands and endocrine glands. As the prefix exo and endo are showing, the difference is that the exocrine glands are groups of cells that produce these chemicals, but then they have a duct which allows this chemical to be released to the outside of the body. Or it may be to the inside of the body, but into an organ, like the digestive tube, like the stomach, intestines. And the endocrine glands are groups of cells that don't have to duct. Instead, they release their chemical, their product, to the bloodstream. And they are surrounded by many blood vessels, capillary networks that's where they release their chemicals into. So that's the big big difference between endocrine gland and exocrine gland. And what we're going to talk about here is endocrine system, which is the group of glands, endocrine glands, that have different functions and different purposes in our physiology. So as we say here, the endocrine glands secrete hormones. Hormone is the name that we give to these chemicals are are made by the endocrine glands. And some things to say about hormones, they travel in the bloodstream, they go everywhere in the body through the bloodstream. And they're going to work or have an effect on cells that are called target cells. Those target cells have receptors that are specific for one or more type of hormones. That's why they're called target cells. And in general, the hormones have many different functions. Some of them are listed here, like regulation of body metabolism, um, growth, and even reproduction. Now let's make an uh, an overview uh, of hormones. We say they are chemicals, so we can classify them according to the chemistry or chemical characteristics. And we have some different types of hormones here, according to the chemical properties. Amines, which derive from amino acids, Mainly two amino acids, tyrosine and tryptophan. Examples for amines, hormones made by the adrenal medulla, by the thyroid gland, and pineal gland. The second type are polypeptides and proteins, long chains of amino acids. Examples, antidiuretic hormone, insulin and growth hormone. Third type, glycoproteins, which are mixtures of polypeptides and carbohydrates. We have two examples, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. And the fourth type are steroids, which are lipids, that derive from cholesterol. We mentioned some of them when we studied chemistry and mentioned the cholesterol. Uh, We said sex hormones like the testosterone, stradiol, progesterone, cortisol. Hormones made by the adrenal cortex and gonads like ovaries and testes. Ovaries and testes, you say right? Yeah, the gonads. And we can also classify all these hormones now according to the action they have in different target cells. And according to that, we have two big groups polar and nonpolar hormones. And we bring these terms from, again, when we study chemistry, we study nonpolar molecules, polar molecules, in reference to the solubility in water. Polar hormones, they are water soluble and nonpolar, insoluble, and water. But we can list some other features regarding to the polar hormones, like they cannot pass through the plasma membranes. And here we have some polypeptides, glycoproteins, norepinephrine, epinephrine, which um, are water-soluble. And insoluble in water nonpolar, also called lipophilic, because they can easily get into the cell, inside the cell, inside the target cells, because they are lipids, most of them, were derived from lipids, and the membrane, the plasma membrane, is phospholipid. Examples, steroids, thyroid hormone, melatonin.
1: Sorry, so, so here the question, when we, we say polar hormones
0: and non polar, we're talking about charge with positive and negative charge, Yes, right? yes. Now, we say the target cells, they have receptors from for one or more of these hormones. Now, these uh, target cells usually have receptors for many hormones. And these hormones may have different ways of action or interactions among them. Like we see here, hormones may be antagonistic, synergistic, or permissive. How the cell responds to those hormones is how these hormones interact, and uh, to one, two, or more of these hormones, and to the level of hormones that are in the bloodstream. So, so for example, antagonistic, it's uh, in contrast to what they, they go through, right? Uh, then permissive, you know, you know permissive, it passes through, or it's permeable. But what's the synergistic piece? We'll go to explain that in the next slides. Antagonistic, synergistic, and permissive effects. Synergistic, the word synergistic means enhance. One hormone enhance the action of another one. In this case, we see two or more hormones working together for a particular effect. Like, we have examples here like epinephrine and norepinephrine. Both affect the heart in the same way. It makes the heart beat faster increases the heart rate, both epinephrine and norepinephrine. Additive effects. Or effects can be complementary, like two hormones are necessary for a particular effect. For instance, in the mammary gland, the production of milk relies on the action of estrogens, which stimulate the growth of the glandular tissue. Prolactin, which make these cells produce the milk, the milk. And oxytocin, which stimulates the release of milk. So in that case, these three hormones will be synergistic. They have synergistic effects on the mammary glands. I'm sorry, what did you say estrogen does? Estrogen stimulates the growth of the cells in the mammary gland. Prolactin make them work, make them produce the milk. And oxytocin helps to the release of this milk. Permissive effect. One hormone makes the target cell more responsive to a second hormone. Examples here. The, let's take the example of the uterus. And during the menstrual cycle, the uterus goes through many changes. And usually the menstrual cycle is divided in two parts. The first part of the menstrual cycle, the uterus is exposed to estrogen. That exposure to estrogen in the first part of the cycle will make the uterus more responsive to progesterone, which is a hormone that stimulates the uterus in the second part of the menstrual cycle. Another example related with a PTH, which stands for parathormone or parathyroid hormone. PTH, parathyroid, parathyroid hormone. And this PTH makes the intestines more responsive vitamin D during calcium absorption process that happens in the intestines. Vitamin B, vitamin D3 helps for absorption of calcium in the intestine. So this PTH helps for that, permits this effect in the intestines. And that way it has permissive effects. An antagonistic, as the name says, opposes. Two hormones work in opposite directions. The best example here are these two hormones, insulin and glucagon. These hormones are made by pancreatic cells in the pancreas. And they both have as a target, or one of the targets for these hormones, is adipose tissue. In that way, the insulin stimulates storage of fat, but glucagon stimulates the fat breakdown. Now imagine all these hormones Traveling in the bloodstream, working on target cells in many different ways, permissive, antagonistic, synergistic effects. But how much of these hormones are necessary for the target cells to to respond? Every single target cell will be stimulated by a determined level of hormone in the blood. And these hormones, as any other chemicals in the bloodstream, they have a natural life, a course, that follows. Because these hormones will be removed from the bloodstream, will be metabolized. And that's why we have these terms, hormone half-life, which is the time required for this plasma concentration of a hormone to be reduced by half. For instance, if thyroid gland releases 100 micrograms of thyroid hormone. After eight hours, we don't find 100 micrograms in the blood, we find 50, because half the amount has been removed to metabolize. So that is a half time for the thyroid hormone, eight hours, it's an example. The time it takes for the levels to be reduced in 50% or half the amount. Most of these hormones, they have half-life that ranges from minutes to hours, but some of them take days. It depends on every hormone, it depends on what is the target cell and what the effect is. But in any case, most of these hormones will be metabolized by the liver and then will be turned into molecules that are not active. They are not stimulating the target cells anymore. Instead, they may be, may be recycled for production of new molecules of that hormone. And recycle, you said? Mm-hmm. And every single um, target cell, has what we call a minimal or physiological level of the hormone at which they are stimulated. And that's what we based on when we measure the level of hormones in the blood. If someone comes with some symptoms and we think that it's a problem of some gland, we detect the level of hormones of that particular hormone in the blood. And we know a normal range, establish a range, but we know that below that level, those target cells are not receiving the influence or the effect of the hormone. And the higher higher concentrations, the effects may be different from a normal case. Because high concentrations of one hormone may stimulate receptors of related hormones. An excessive amount may stimulate other receptors which are similar to the um, original receptor. And that may result in different effects or sometimes we don't desire. There are some diseases and some conditions at which a gland produces a hormone, and when that gland produces excessive amount of that hormone, will start stimulating other cells. Other cells are not supposed to react, but they react because there's a lot of this hormone in the blood like one example. For instance, there's a problem in, um, in the uterus during the pregnancy where there is a, a growth of the placental cells which turn sometimes malignant. Well these cells produce a hormone, which is very similar to the thyroid hormone. I better say TSH, which is a hormone made by the pituitary gland. And so as a collateral effect, this hormone from the placenta will start stimulating the thyroid gland because it's very similar. And we have a person with symptoms of hyperthyroidism, which is not the main problem. The main problem is different but maybe because there's a lot of this placental hormone in the blood. There are some other interactions like this that we call priming effects or app regulation. Some target cells, they will respond to to a hormone, increasing the number of receptors for that hormone. That's what we call app regulation. And here we have an example. GNRH, which is a hormone made by the hypothalamus in the nervous system. When it's produced, it is released, and it will act on cells of the pituitary gland the cells of the pituitary gland will start increasing the number of receptors for GnRH under this stimulation. So later, when the GnRH is secreted, the pituitary cells are more sensitive because they have more receptors now. Initially, the GnRH stimulated increased number of receptors. And then the second later, hours later or days later, now the cells of the pituitary gland are more sensitive. They have more receptors. That's called abregulation. regulation And then the other way around, down-regulation or desensitization, it's called. Whenever there is a prolonged exposure to high concentrations of hormone, that may result in decreased number of receptors now as a mechanism of regulation. Like what happens in the adipose cells, if there is a high concentration of insulin in the blood, the adipose cells will decrease number of receptors and it will not respond properly later on. Increase or decrease, you said? Decrease. Decrease the number of receptors. If there's a lot of insulin circulating in the blood, higher concentrations, the adipose cells will decrease the number of receptors. That's called down regulation. And that's one of the reason, perhaps, that's the reason perhaps that the hormones, many hormones, they have a, a, a pattern for the release. They are released in spurts or pulsatile secretion. If we make a graph of or how the cells release hormones, we usually find like peaks. It's not like all the time we have the same level of hormone. It changes, sometimes during the day, or during a number of days. It depends on the type of hormone. That's called pulsatile secretion. Because if there is too much of the hormone all the time in the blood, that will make down regulation. We don't want that. We want our target cells to be reactive and responsive all the time. Okay, those were some features of the hormones in terms of chemical features and interaction. Now let's see how these hormones work when they reach the target cell. We said and mentioned that the target cells have receptors for hormones. And those receptor or the interaction or binding between the receptor and the hormone is highly specific as any receptor. There's a high affinity and low capacity, which means the number of receptors is limited. Because as you can imagine, the cells have many, many other receptors for many other things. Some of the receptors are for specific hormones. And also, we bring some chemical characteristics, because we can see that the lipophilic hormones that we described before, they have receptors which are in the cytoplasm or the nucleus of the target cell. But instead, the water-soluble hormones, they have receptors that are outside, in the outer surface of the plasma membrane. So it's important to remember the chemical characteristics of hormones, because there's a correlation with the type of receptors in the target cells. Hormones that bind to nuclear receptors. We said they are the lipophilic hormones steroid hormones thyroid hormone is a good example cortisol is another example of lipophilic steroid hormone how they work on the target cell they are traveling in the blood in the bloodstream attached to a molecule called carrier protein When that hormone arrives to the destination of the target cell, this hormone will dissociate, will separate from the carrier protein, and will go across the plasma membrane. Receptors for these hormones are found in the cytoplasm and the nucleus. And they are called some of the nuclear hormone receptors because what they're gonna do at the end is activate genetic transcription. They will work at the DNA of the target cell. And actually, they are classified or described as transcription factors. In the first part, we define transcription and translation as those parts of the synthesis of proteins processes that mediate or are involved in the synthesis of proteins. So these steroid hormones, thyroid hormone, they work in that way. They activate genetic transcription. And we see them in a graph here. We see the hormone labeled as H attached to a carrier protein. It separates from the carrier, goes through the membrane and finds a receptor in the cytoplasm. It gets into the nucleus, attaches to the DNA, and makes the DNA active, transcribing a molecule of messenger RNA. And from here, you know the story, messenger RNA comes out and a protein starts being produced. And that's actually what these hormones, most of them stimulate in the target cells. They make them produce proteins, which will have different purposes. There's an example, a specific example for the thyroid hormone. We see a carrier protein In this case of the thyroid hormone, this has a name, and we'll see that when we get to the thyroid hormone or thyroid gland. This carrier protein is called TBG, for thyroid hormone. T4 is how we label the thyroid hormone. And it's called TB, what's TBG, TBG. The T4 goes through the membrane easily, and it finds a receptor, a binding protein, in the cytoplasm. This brings the thyroid hormone to the nucleus. And in the nucleus, we find the receptor protein, which is going to bind to the DNA. And from there, you know the story. Messenger RNA synthesis, translation, protein synthesis. That's how these two hormones work. Lipophilic hormones, steroid hormones and thyroid hormones. Now, the hormones that are water-soluble, they cannot cross the plasma membrane. And they have receptors on the surface of the plasma membrane. How are they going to work? Well, they are going to activate the second messenger system. Second messenger mechanisms include adenylate cyclase, phospholipase C, or tyrosine kinase. In each of these hormones that we see in parentheses, we can see different second messenger mechanisms. Adenylase cyclase for epinephrine, norepinephrine, phospholipase C, in epinephrine and tyrosine kinase in insulin. These are uh, components of the second messenger mechanism that may be activated by them. So, that was the introduction about the hormones, and now let's get into specific glands and see how this endocrine system works. Starting with the pituitary gland. Pituitary gland is a gland that is located in the brain, in the cranial cavity, and is attached, attached to the hypothalamus. That attachment is called infundibulum like the stem of the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland is divided in two portions, anterior lobe and posterior lobe. There are specific names for each of these lobes, anterior lobe or adenohypophysis. Hypophysis is another name that we give to this gland. Sometimes we read pituitary gland or hypophysis gland, which is the same. So anterior lobe is adenohypophysis and posterior lobe is neurohypophysis. The anterior pituitary gland is made of an epithelium, which is glandular epithelium. These are the cells that make the hormones, and it can be described in two parts: pars distalis and pars tuberalis. Increasing the size of this picture. The pars distalis will be all most of it. The pars tuberalis is the one close to the stem or infundibulum, And the posterior pituitary gland is, on, is known as neurohypophysis because it's actually nervous tissue. Also known as pars nervosa. And again, in the picture, you can see something. The hypothalamus and posterior lobe, or neurohypophysis, they are depicted in the same color. Make clear that it's actually nervous tissue, neurohypophysis. Instead, the adenohypophysis, or anterior lobe, has a different color. Well, there's a different story for each of these parts. The the adenohypophysis, or anterior lobe, is not nervous tissue. But the posterior, posterior pituitary gland, it is. This is where it's located, in the cranial cavity, attached to the hypothalamus. It's so a very small gland, almost the size of a pea, but very powerful because all these cells, they make a lot of hormones, many different hormones. So let's describe the hormones starting with the anterior pituitary gland. The anterior lobe, or adeno hypothesis cells, they make all these hormones. All of them, they have, at some point, many of them have this <coughs> word, tropic, or tropic hormones. This word, trophic or tropic, means... Nutrition, support, growth hormone, we use the abbreviation GH. We usually, when we talk about hormones, and this is one of the things that you should uh, learn and remember are the letters, the abbreviations for each of these hormones. We are going to use the abbreviations only when we, in the exams, I'm going to write the whole word, just abbreviations. GH for growth hormone, TSH for thyroid stimulating hormone, ACTH, adrenal corticotropic hormone. And if you notice the word, the description tells you what kind of action the word the target cell is. Thyroid stimulating hormone, target cells are in the thyroid. Adrenal corticotropic hormone, the target cells for these hormone is in the adrenal cortex, the adrenal gland. FSH, for follicle-stimulating hormone, target cells are in the follicle. What is the follicle? That is found in the ovary. But at the same time, this same hormone is found in the male, not only female. The male don't have ovary. And it works on the testicles. L H for luteinizing hormone. I'm sorry. This fol is this when we're deficient in follicle-stimulating? No, that's different. It's different. In the male, there's also L H. Sometimes we call it I C S H is a term that we almost don't use. ICSH stands for Interstitial Cell Stimulating Hormone. Those are the particular target cells in the male, which are the testicles also. <coughs> and PRL for prolactin. Also, all these hormones are made by cells of the anterior pituitary gland. So, like, as you age, you stop doing, like, uh, so 12 hours? Is it like Yeah, I mean, when we are kids, we make all these hormones, except some of them, like FSH and LH, which are activated and start being produced in puberty. At that point is when the reproductive organs will complete their development. Still made it for very small amounts, small levels, but then at puberty they start being produced more. Growth hormone, it is made more during growth we are kids, but then even after we get into adults, we still produce GH. We're not growing anymore, but the GH has more actions, not only for growth. It also works for uh, enhancing the metabolism of the cells. The rest of the hormones, they are made all the time. So, oh, just another picture naming all these hormones and the particular target cells where they are. All of these hormones coming from the anterior pituitary gland. TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. ACTH, adrenal corticotropical hormone for the adrenal cortex. FSH and LH, these two are also known as gonadotropics. Gonadotropics, because both are going to work on ovaries and On this side, we have growth hormone or GH. Target cell here, as you see, are bones, muscles for growth, adipose tissue, (coughs) indicating that this hormone also works in metabolism, and prolactin, which stimulates the mammary gland, cells of the mammary gland. And how about the posterior pituitary gland? Posterior pituitary gland makes these hormones uh, two hormones. ADH, which stands for antidiuretic hormone, oxytocin. There are some things to say about these two hormones. These hormones are made actually in the hypothalamus. But then, remember we said the posterior pituitary gland is nervous tissue and is the same color as the hypothalamus in the picture. Well, what happens is these hormones are made by cells, by neurons in the hypothalamus. But then, the axons of these neurons run down towards the posterior pituitary gland. And at that point, they are released. That's what we say here at the beginning. The first statement here says the posterior pituitary gland stores and releases two hormones made in the hypothalamus ADH, and this is the name of the nucleus, group of neurons in the hypothalamus that make ADH, supraoptic nucleus, and oxytocin made by neurons of the paraventricular nucleus. Those neurons are in the hypothalamus. From there, axons come down to the posterior pituitary gland to release those hormones. And also, we have some words about the action of these hormones. ADH promotes retention of water in the kidneys. There are other names for this ADH, like vasopressin or ADP, and oxytocin stimulates contractions of the uterus, childbirth, and cells of the mammary gland during lactation. Since these hormones are made by hypothalamic cells or neurons, they respond to neuroendocrine stimuli. Like ADH, if there's an increase in the blood osmolality, like we increase the uh, content of sodium in the diet or we get dehydrated, that will be the stimulus for these cells to make ADH. They will increase the retention of water and will fix the problem, bring homeostasis back. In oxytocin, one of the stimuli is the suckling effect or suckling reflex. When the baby, babies are born, or they're small infants, they start suckling effect, and that will be the stimulus for lactation. And here we see in this picture how this works posteriorly. Hypothalamus. We see the parvinter <coughs> nucleus and the supraoptic nucleus, which are in the hypothalamus. Up here, from here we can see the axons running down, going through the infundibulum part, and reaching the posterior pituitary gland. This is nervous tissue. All so the axons are coming down here, and at this point they are released. <coughs> These hormones are released here in the posterior pituitary gland. They are not made here, they are made up here in the hypothalamus. And the other ones are just made in the anterior pituitary. Correct. <coughs> now, is there a relation between hypothalamus and anterior pituitary gland? Yes, there is. The hypothalamus actually regulates the anterior pituitary gland. And the regulation is by means of hormones. So, this hypothalamus, the neurons of the hypothalamus, make hormones that will regulate the function of the anterior pituitary gland. That's what we say here the anterior pituitary gland is controlled by hormones from the hypothalamus which may be releasing or inhibiting hormones. And they come down to the anterior pituitary glands, but since the anterior pituitary gland is not nervous tissue, the way that the hormones from the hypothalamus reach the anterior pituitary gland is by blood vessels. That's what we see here. These green products are released to the blood vessels, and blood vessels bring these hormones This system of circulation is called the <coughs> hypothalamic or hypothalamo portal system, a system of blood vessels that bring the hormones from the hypothalamus to the anterior pituitary gland. <coughs> what hormones are those? Here we have a list. These hormones are made by the hypothalamus. By the hypothalamus. And again, there are letters here for abbreviation for these hormones. Corticotropin releasing hormone, CRH. GNRH, gonadotropin releasing hormone. Whenever we see the word releasing there, it means that these hormones stimulate the pituitary gland to make. Particular hormone, life. In the case of the first one, CRH, this CRH, corticotropin releasing hormone, goes to the anterior pituitary gland and stimulates cells to make ACTH, which is adrenal corticotropin. In the same way, gonadotropin releasing hormone is made by the hypothalamus and it comes down the anterior pituitary gland and makes it to produce gonadotropins, which we said are FSH and LH. In the same way, there is thyrotropin-releasing hormone, TRH, growth hormone-releasing hormone that makes the pituitary gland to release growth hormone, and there are some inhibiting hormones like the prolactin-inhibiting hormone, or PIH. These hormones are made by the hypothalamus. In this picture, we see this depicted in a different way. And here we start seeing some levels, and that's how we should understand the endocrine system physiology. This level, the middle level, we have the pituitary gland that we say also called hypophysis. It is divided into two parts: adenohypophysis and neurohypophysis, anterior and posterior pituitary gland. But on top of the pituitary gland, there is the hypothalamus. And what we see in this picture is how the hypothalamus makes all these hormones that are going to regulate the adenohypophysis, like. This way, GNRH, gonadotropin releasing hormone, is stimulated adenal hypothesis to make FSH and LH. And in the same way, we can follow CRH, made makes the cells of adenal hypothesis to produce ACTH. Just follow TRH from the hypothalamus, TSH adenal hypothesis, PRH prolactin releasing hormone, GH growth hormone. And we have all the hormones made by the adeno hypothesis. And this side, posterior, for neurohypothesis, we see ADH and oxytocin, which are made by the hypothalamus. But in this case, the neurohypothesis is not making any hormones, just releasing these two hormones. And there's a third level here, the target organ, or target where the target cells are. We identify some of them here. DNRH, FSH. The target cells are in the gonads, ovaries or testes. Same way, adrenal cortex, thyroid gland, mammary gland, growth hormone for liver, <coughs> bone, muscle, liver. And finally, for these two, adh and oxytocin. Adh will work in kidney, and the oxytocin uterus, and the memory gland. So this is the way that we should understand the physiology of the endocrine system in three levels, hypothalamus, adeno, and neurohypophysis, and the target organ where the target cells are. And these three levels... They work or interact with each other by means of a feedback control. And here is what we, something that we did previously in homeostasis, we described the homeostasis, uh, feedback, negative feedback, positive feedback mechanisms. This is going to happen at these three levels: hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and target organ or target cell. These three levels interacting to each other, we call them, we call it axis. Hypothalamus pituitary target tissue. That's an axis, a vertical axis. (laughs) And we can see this better explained with this diagram. Let's take an example of the thyroid hormone which is made by the thyroid we have here at the lower level the thyroid gland this thyroid gland makes thyroxin this is the thyroid hormone thyroxin but this thyroid gland is stimulated by TSH which is made by the anterior pituitary this anterior pituitary gland receives stimulation from the hypothalamus. DRH is a hormone made by the hypothalamus that stimulates anterior pituitary gland. But now what happens when the thyroxine is made and released to the bloodstream? It will go everywhere and it will exert negative feedback on the anterior pituitary gland and hypothalamus. It will inhibit here responsiveness to TRH, and at the hypothalamus will inhibit, inhibit secretion of TRH. That's how the axis, and this is just an example example for the thyroid gland. The same axis is found for the ACTH, for the gonadotropins, and uh, this will explain many things. And so last Thursday, we had the lab on uh, uh, endocrine physiology and in the experiment with the rat, you have the chance to see this feedback loop, negative feedback loop, and how in different cases, hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, when we remove the thyroid gland or remove the anterior pituitary gland, how the effects are seen in the metabolism. Because the thyroid hormone, one of the main actions in the cells is to maintain the metabolism.